As Pastor Ben was talking earlier about the participation of this church in the mission that we all have together, um, talking about the very real practical outworkings of that, and, and oftentimes we don't even hear a lot of uh, um, feedback or you know behind the scenes of what has gone on or what is going on and all of that, and uh, that's okay. Um, of course, it's always encouraging to hear uh, what is happening with our investments of our personal time, of our personal resources, and all of that. Uh, and this week, um, out of absolutely nowhere, because it's been a few years, um, you may remember, uh, I don't even want to guess how many years it's been, but we had talked about a pastor who was on the ground in Syria, and of course this is during this you know, protracted ongoing uh, war which is basically, you know, Islam fighting with Islam and Islam, of course, fighting with the infidels called Christians and all of that. And we were gripped by the ministry of this guy who was there in the midst of that. So anywhere there was an appeal that went out from one of our uh, uh, free church pastors in the New England district who personally knows the pastor on the ground there. And we made the uh, the need known and this church responded on that one Sunday, I'm pretty sure, for $10,000 that we just wrote a check and send it off to them. And that was that. Now, it turned out that Pastor Laybourne, again, who's the pastor in uh, the New England district here, just emailed me this weekend, again, out of the blue, having assumed that we had ongoing communication with the people in Syria, uh, which, of course, we don't and didn't, so we've heard nothing. And anyway, so he wanted to apprise us of what has taken place over there in the intervening uh, time period that has lapsed since whenever it was that we participated in that. And again, now we're talking about a war-torn country where, I should say a war-tearing country because it's certainly not over by any stretch and it's ongoing and uh, uh, all that goes with that. And it turns out that you know, certainly only in part, but with the, the gift that we sent them in the intervening, uh, I don't know why I keep just stumbling on that word, time between that, um, there have been planted in this war-torn, hostile country over a hundred home churches in the area. And those home churches, of course, are built to support the Christians that are still alive uh, there, but also they have pointed outreach to the Muslims in that war-torn country. And Muslims are coming to Christ, being so fed up with the hopelessness and the ongoing uh, bloodshed and, uh, and uh, terror and torment that they've been living in. And again, we had no idea that that was all going on. We, we, uh, you know, we like to get information, do our due diligence, but we send gifts here and there for one thing or another. And it's great when we happen to hear feedback of this nature for what we've been doing. And again, that's all because of your faithfulness in that. But I also noted, and this really was very impromptu. I hadn't given this much thought until I was talking about this in the first service. But the money that we sent in this particular situation in Syria, we are empowering the individuals there to commit civil disobedience because it is against Sharia law, obviously, to do any kind of evangelism, proselytizing, conversion of Muslims. It's against the law to provide shelter to the infidels, meaning the Christians, so that the Muslims can wipe them out and all that goes with that. We have no hiccups about 
they, them, and those that we are helping to do that in their countries, meaning they are intimately, I mean, at a blood-deep life level involved in the politics of their nation. And that's great, that's awesome, and we're a part of it. But then something really strange happened here in America, and it's been happening by increments over the decades. And that is that the church of Jesus Christ has somewhere along the line, like the frog in the kettle, been gradually sucked in, enculturated to this mindset that when it comes to the Christian church, Christian people doing anything that might smack of civil disobedience, gasp, much less being involved in politics, again, in a, not in a blood-deep level, but in a nasty, dirt-deep level of keeping people informed, of telling you, you know what, these are the issues that are out there. This is what our state, this is what our country is trying to do, and we need to be involved, and we need to stand against this, and we need to be vocal, and we need to be outspoken. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, that's politics. <laughs> that's got no place in the church. What do you mean it's got no place in the church? First of all, there is no dividing wall between politics and whatever is non-politics. Politics derives from the word polis, which means the people, the many, the population. Anything that has anything to do with the population is political. And the church that thinks that it's going to keep its mouth shut has become a church that has forfeited their obligation to let their light so shine before men that they may see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Amen. And that giving glory to Father in heaven and that being faithful and letting that light shine means taking up whatever is necessary with the freedoms that we yet have to try and be that positive, godly influence on our culture and on our nation. So you can call it politics. I call it biblical theology. Amen. And so today we have Carol Conley with us from the Christian Civic League of Maine at my invitation. I've been talking about the heinous legislation, as you're going to hear more about, called LD-912. And then also about a couple of different truly, I think, ministry opportunities that... The local churches here, the Bible-believing churches in our little ministerial um, have also been in talks with Carol Conley and with each other about being involved in these things to be of service in our outreach as we are being political to rescue those from the clutches and the grips of Satan. So Carol and his dear wife, Terry, who are in the thick of it, who, of course, Carol, I've mentioned before, and Dick Bradstreet, our own uh, uh, member here at Faith, who's our representative or one of the representatives, uh, they walk into Satan's lair to do business down in Augusta. And the stresses and the pressures and the anxieties and the temptations to throw in the towel or to acquiesce are things that, that you and I really can't even relate to. So I am very pleased to introduce, not the first time, but Carol Conley, to the pulpit this morning to bring us up to speed. And this is all part of our mission. Remember, we're moving to 750. Remember the three legs of that? To pray, to serve, and to reach. And there's absolutely has to be prayer involved as we are serving. And these are more capacities that we're going to be able to serve in while reaching those who still are going to die without Christ unless somebody reaches them. Carol Conley, my friend. Thank you, Bill. Well, good morning. 
It's been a couple of years since I've had the opportunity to be here. So first of all, I just want to say thank you to Bill and thank you for this church. Um, a lot of you that are familiar, that are in the Waterville area and in the capital know that the Christian Civic League was in trouble uh, eight years ago. And I remember reaching out to Pastor Bill several times. We knew each other through kind of the music ministry as we were uh, transforming uh, into a more contemporary ministry up at Bangor Baptist at the time. We'd reached out, so I, I, I remember talking to Bill. But I reached out to him several times. And I can honestly say, this uh, this is not a platitude, but it's, it's your pastor's leadership and this church's encouragement that allowed us to be able to redeem the Christian Civic League and to even be in Augusta. So I, I want you to know how much I, I always consider privileged to, when a pastor allows me to have the pulpit on a Sunday morning, but especially this church. There's so many of you that are individual supporters of the league. This church is so invested in us and the leadership that the bill provides to other pastors beyond uh, even the Waterville area. So it really is a privilege to be here this morning. I do, uh, Bill mentioned Terry, where, where are Bill and Orm now this time? They were sitting in the back. There they are. That's my wife, Terry. And oh, I don't know, is Orm back there with you? Oh, okay. <laughs> but Orm Lowry is also here. And Orm is uh, with Mark Holbrook, who is running for, as, for Congress. And he's a strong pro-life candidate that we are hoping is going to beat Shelley Pengree uh, in the first district. And he is here uh, getting... Uh, uh, signatures to get on the ballot. So Orm will be back at the table with Terry as well after this service. And we also have the opportunity, I know a lot of you already have done it, but the petition for LD 912, uh, the legislation I'm going to talk about, it's important for you to sign that uh, to let the legislators and the state leaders know in um, down in Augusta that we are not going to stand for this, that we are going to oppose this legislation. Uh, if you're not really familiar with the Christian Civic League, uh, we started in 1897, and our mission is to bring a biblical or a Christian perspective to public policy. That's what we do. And we do it in a lot of different facets, and certainly one of the ways we do that is through the political process, as Bill said. And we were talking about Bonhoeffer um, before the first service, and we're both uh, great admirers of Bonhoeffer. He wasn't a perfect man, and, but he was a man for the time in Germany. And Bonhoeffer fought against this ridiculous concept that there's a secular circle and there's a sacred circle. There's only one circle. There's one sacred circle. This is our father's world. And he has called upon us to advocate for his truth. You know, don't, this is a rhetorical question, but, you know, if I ask you why Jesus came to this earth, we might get a lot of different answers. But I challenge you to go to John 18 when Jesus was asked that question, when he was on Pilate's porch. And Jesus said, for this reason, I came into this world. For this cause, I was born. There's a double barrel answer right here. That I might bear witness of the truth. That was Jesus' mission, to bear witness of the truth. And for us that take that mantle and have called to do the same thing, he's given us the faith to believe his word. And so whatever authority, whatever God speaks to in his word and has given us the faith to believe that, then we are to be advocate for God's truth as well. And so this morning, as we talk about the challenge that we face in the legislation and then the opportunities, the ministry opportunities that Bill references, we, I want you to know that is our mission as a church. That is our mission as a parachurch. 
ministry to be a resource to you to help you be the church. And before I get into those specifics this morning, I do still want to talk a little bit about the why before we talk about the what. And if you have your Bibles, take, take them and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is talking to young Timothy. And if you've been around, raised in Sunday school, or been under good you know, church and, and good preaching, you know this is a really common passage where the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that let all treaties and prayers and supplications and thanksgivings be made for all men. And so we are not going to argue that. That's not controversial. That God, well, I guess unless you're Joy, Joy Behar, right? Um, where, you know, it's a mental illness, I guess, to pray today, to hear the voice of Jesus. But the Bible tells us that we are to be people of prayer. So we don't have to spend a lot of time in this church talking about, you know, we might be convicted that we don't do it enough, but we know God's people should be people of prayer. But then he gets them some instruction for all men, gets a little bit more specific, and for the kings and all those that are in authority. And again, I, I joked with the uh, first uh, service when I threw in that we would uh, pray for all men in authority if we agree with them politically. You know, and I think sometimes we give that impression on Facebook uh, that when we are criticizing or talking about policies and things that we don't agree with, which I believe it's the right thing to do. But we all we make sure the world knows that as we do that, we're not doing it out of fear. We're not doing it of, you know, making God small and keeping him within the lines or those songs that we sang so appropriately this morning. But we are declaring the truth with hope. And at the same time, we are recognizing our admonition to pray for, pray for our leaders. And again, I would bet if we did a quick survey, most people say, yes, Carol, I know we should be praying. And I know we should be praying for our leaders. But I don't know if we emphasize the rest of these next few verses to really understand the why. And so when he says to pray for those that are in authority, all those that God has put into authority, it says that we might lead peaceful lives, godly lives or moral lives in diligence. So there are three things that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy and therefore to the church that when we pray for our leaders, there is something in it for us. Now, we don't pray just to, you know, to get something. We pray in obedience, but God does bless our obedience with peace and with morality and with dignity. Now, when I became the director of the Christian Civic League, there's, there are certain things that really encourage you. And I have to admit, there are certain things that discourage you as well. And it can actually be like a kick in the gut. I gave one example in the first service. I'm going to give another example now. Uh, last year, I was coming back down from Aroostook County. And I thought I would stop in and see uh, a church. Uh, who had a change in pastors, but the guy I'd known for a long time had just come home uh, from the mission field and was now pastoring this church. They'd been uh, had been financially supporting us for years and years and years. And I just said, do you mind if I stop in and see you? And he said, well, uh, Carol, I, I really don't have time. And he said, and I've been meaning to call to tell you, but we're going to be pulling our support from the Christian Civic League. And I said, well, why is that? And I knew they'd gone through some difficulties and changes financially, which happens. And you get the, he said, well, Carol, we, we've decided that we're just going to invest in kingdom-minded uh, ministries. And I said, uh, Dan, uh, are, are you suggesting that what we're doing is not kingdom-minded? 
And he basically began to explain to me um, how far off the church has gone in addressing things like sanctity of life or marriage or religious freedom and things like that, and that they just don't want to invest in anything other than that. And I remember I, I was sitting, I was actually sitting in the parking lot of a little Baptist church in Bridgewater, Maine, because I'd stopped and, and to make the phone call. And I, at first, I, it just really, it really hurt me. You know, but then I just said, Lord, you know, I, I'm here to be a resource for those that understand that call and and just pray that that church and that you will m- help them understand the mantle that's on their shoulder to speak the truth into the culture and that we just can't pick and choose, you know, what people want to hear. And so that it can be really, really discouraging. And there are those within the evangelical community that will tell you when you look at something like peace. When you look at something like morality, when you look at something in regard to dignity, in other words, that that horizontal relationship that we have with our neighbors and and our public servants and and everybody within that politic, as, as Bill referred to, our community, none of those are eternal values. Peace is wonderful, but the peace that that's talking about, it's not talking about the peace of heaven. It's talking about the lack of uh, conflict. It's not talking about eternal peace. Same thing with morality. It's not talking about the morality of Christ that he sees upon us. He was actually talking about right and wrong. And then dignity is talking about how we relate to each other. And oftentimes within the evangelical community, you'll hear that's wood, hay, stubble. Those are temporary. Those are things that are going to burn up. We should not invest in those things at all. And I want to suggest to you that as we, not not some guy that's trying to raise money to make sure that he can pay his staff, you know, keep the doors open. Don't listen to me. I want you to look at the argument and the defense that the Apostle Paul gives in the rest of this verse. Peace, godliness, dignity. Then what's he say? Which is good according to God our Savior, who that all men would come to a knowledge of the truth. And be saved. So the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy. Yes. Obviously. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus came. Into this world. And when we were in rebellion. And the same rebellion. And died for us. And opened the gates of heaven for us. And those that call upon the name of the Lord. Shall be saved. And that is the gospel. But he's also telling Timothy. That within the context of that truth. There is a temporal component that should not be ignored. Our role as stewards of this physical world, our role as parents, as grandparents, as employers, as citizens, all of those things are temporal things. Are they as important as eternity? No, but they matter and they are worthy of our investment and they are tied together. I I refer to this as our walking and chewing gum verse. Not only can we do both, we are out of balance when we aren't doing both. And by the way, you can get out of balance either way. And the church has a really good history of, of doing both out of balance. But we need to do that. And if I could just authorize this a little bit more quickly before we go on to talk about LD 912. I, I, 
in Jeremiah chapter 29, when Jeremiah is speaking to the Israelites that are in captivity in Babylon, what does he say to them? He says, to pray for the welfare of the city wherein I have made you captive. That when, basically, when there is peace and prosperity or welfare within the city, then you will know peace and prosperity. And a lot of people like to spiritualize that verse, like, well, peace and prosperity, that's talking about, you know, that's just talking about heavenly things. That's just talking about, you know, me being right with God. Well, then I challenge you to look at the verses before that when he tells them to have gardens and build houses and have children and and have grandchildren and all those things that are very temporal activities. We cannot ignore the time that God has given us. Again, Bill and I were, were just talking about this again uh, before the 830 service. If, if, if it's just about that, then why do we look at examples like in the Old Testament when God called Esther? And she said, for such a time as this, and if Esther was concerned about the safety of the Jews in Babylon, then why didn't she just pray for them? Why did she go into the king to make that petition? There was action that God required of her. And by the way, Mordecai said to her when she was halting a little bit, he said, you know, don't think that the nation of Israel is going to be ruined if you don't do that because you'll raise someone else to do it. So I'm all into the sovereignty of God. Absolutely, totally. But sometimes the sovereignty of God and this idea that we just talk about Jesus, there's a, there's a, 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 a fatalism to it. You know, what's the joke? I'm not a fatalist, but if I was, what difference would it be? Um, I lean on the sovereignty of God, but I also recognize that the men and women throughout the years, he has called them to advocate and to be salt and light in every nook and cranny of this creation. So as I speak about something that is a dark, a dark challenge, and Bill can tell you, Bill was at the public hearing for LD 912. It's oppressive. And it is a lie. That is sweeping our world and our culture right now when we talk about the lie that there's 32 genders. The, a lie that God has created us broken. Now God has created us in his image and we are broken, but God, God did not create us broken. Or if we want to switch around, we're all broken. If we want to look at that way. But I just want to talk about LD 912 that cuts to the very authority of God's word that tells us that the gospel of Jesus Christ can take any problem, any challenge, and be in control and transform any situation into his program and into his truth. So with that being said, LD 912 is a bill that was held over from the last legislative session that is now before it's going to be coming out of our committee probably the next two or three weeks that basically makes it illegal for any counselor, licensed or not, including pastors, when a young person comes to them with their, uh, let's say, example, where uh, someone has been assaulted or molested or some other circumstance, and they say to that counselor, listen, I have unwanted same-sex attraction, or I have, I'm having confusion, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a, a male, but I think I might be a female, or anything like that. In this, if this law passes, anything but affirming either their confusion or affirming their same-sex attraction, it will be illegal in the state of Maine. 
And by illegal, I mean if you're a licensed practitioner, you will lose your license. If you're not licensed, in addition to that, you could be sued. Civil action for fraud under the Unfair Trade and Commerce Act. That is the bill that we're looking at. And the danger of this is because it is such a difficult bill and such a, a, a swinging for the fences by the people that are trying to get this passed in all 50 states. And by the way, it just passed in the uh, House in New Hampshire two weeks ago. And unless God performs a miracle, it's going to pass in the New Hampshire Senate in the, in the near future. And I ask you to pray for Shannon McGinley. Shannon is, is me in New Hampshire. And they got it tougher than we do. Much, we've got a governor that's going to veto this bill. They don't. Now, I don't want to wait on a veto. I don't want to put all the pressure on the governor to do that. I want to beat this thing. I want to beat it. And that's not going to happen without your help. But LD-912 is, without question, one of the most dangerous and uh, cunning bills that has come into the legislature in my time at the Christian Civic League. And we need to advocate for God's truth. We need to do it courageously. We need to do it boldly. And we need to do it effectively. Now, I thank God that uh, a couple weeks ago we put this word out that the Christian Civic League has a petition that we're asking people to sign, whether you're a licensed professional or not, and let me take those names into the legislature and say, no, despite what the Portland Press-Herald says, despite what the Bangor Daily says, beside, beside what CNN says, not everybody's on board with this, this agenda. And people are definitely against it. That matters. And so after this service, if you haven't done it electronically, we encourage you to go to our website to sign that petition. But my wife, Terry, will be in the back, back there with Orm as well, at the table, and you can sign that petition. That is helpful. Legislators do pay attention when I can take that in and show the people from the district and their town that don't agree with that. So we would ask you to help us with that. And then I would also ask you to do this. And sometimes this sounds like just a perfunctory thing to say. But I ask you to pray for us. I ask you to pray for us. Number one, pray that we can be effective advocates. Pray that we can be uh, an inspiration to the church and the denominations that are faithful to the Bible to, to rise up and to effectively uh, stop this, this very dangerous legislation. And then third, I would ask that you would pray for our opponents. Pray for the people that are pushing this bill. They need Jesus. They need the Lord. And I'm absolutely specifically praying for the two openly gay sponsors of this bill, one of which I have a very good relationship with, that through this advocacy, not in spite of it, but because of our advocacy, that they would be drawn to the source of the truth. And not just know what, what, what God's plan is in regarding that, but God's plan that he is pursuing them just like he pursued me in my lost and rebellious state, that he, that they could know the love of the Lord and that he would open their eyes. And we say, wow, well, yeah, what are the chances of that happening? What are the chances of God knocking Paul off his donkey, you know? <laughs> I think sometimes we forget. We look at the dry bones of Ezekiel 37, right? We look at, and, and what God said to Ezekiel, he said, can I make these bones live? And Ezekiel didn't even answer the question. He said, you say so, Lord. You know, 
Well, maybe God said, well, let's not go with dry bones. Let's just go with recently deceased bodies. Maybe that'd be a little easier for God than some dry bones. I think that's the way we look at it sometimes. Like there's a scale of difficulty from one to ten. You know, that was for Bill in his diving days, but that, that's, that doesn't work with God. It's either in his plan or it's not because we know he's able. So pray for the souls of those people that the Lord allows us to be in their presence, advocating for his truth, not to condemn, not to tell them to stop being naughty, but that they know that this is the truth. This isn't our opinion. This is the truth that God has preserved in his word and the benefits of it temporally, but most important that we might know the power of God and the power of his resurrection. So please, please pray for us on that. So that is an incredible challenge. And as I shared uh, with the first service, I wish I could tell you that I just always am this stalwart, courageous, you know, charge into hell with a, uh, you know, squirt gun guy. That's not me. It's not. When I was probably a little bit more uh, confident in myself as a 32 or 35 year old, I probably was foolishly more like that. But I... I I need your prayers for courage and not courage to win a fight, but a courage to be that advocate that people don't see me, but that people see the loveliness of Christ and the peace and the beauty of a life that is submitted to the Lord. And that is the ultimate end of our advocacy. So with that being said, I, I want to switch to some of the really exciting ministry opportunities that are in many ways um, going back to the roots of the Christian Civic League because we really started in the throes of substance abuse uh, in the 1890s here in the state of Maine when the president of Bowdoin College called a convention up in Aroostook County so that um, the church could address the binge drinking that was going on in the campuses And the amount of alcohol that was being consumed in our state was unbelievable, which really in many ways started the prohibition movement uh, because of that. So our former chair, Pastor Bob Ermick, a lot of you know Bob, and I met the morning after the election. So on November 9th, 2016, we were sitting in the studio at WHCF getting ready to do our program, Faith Matters in Maine. And Bob said, Carol, I want to share something with you on my heart. I go, what is it, Bob? And he said, I know your heart and you know my heart that neither one of us believe that simply engaging in the political, you know, legislative slash campaign is going to save America. He said, I know that and you know that. And he said, and people that really know us know that as well. But for the average observer, people still could look at us and observe us and be under that impression. And even though it's not true, that perception is not helpful. And it's not effective. Matter of fact, it's it's actually very, very, very negative in that regard. And he said, what can we do? We need to pray about strategically figuring out how the Christian Civic League can use its platform to be a resource to the church, to be an instigator, to be uh, hopefully a source of inspiration, to find and to resource and to lift up ministry or ministry opportunities that are non-legislative, that engage our culture. And on his heart and on our board's heart certainly has been the opiate crisis that is in our state right now that is consuming 
our generation. What can we do? We've been asking, what can the Christian Civic do about the opiate crisis? You know, some of you know that the Christian Civic League used to be welcome in public schools. Benny Boober, you know, in his galaxy, uh, used to run from school to school and actually do presentations back in the 50s and the 60s. But those doors are closed. So, so what can we do? What can we do? And we are very excited that we are now looking at a program under the umbrella of an organization called Flourish Now. And I'd highly recommend that you look at Flourish-Now and Google it at some point. It's an organization that is established by a young man from Maine named Taryn Bragdon. Now, if you guys are political junkies like me, you'll know who Taryn Bragdon is. He was the youngest legislator ever voted into the legislature in the state of Maine. And a former student of mine, a Bangor Christian, he was on Governor uh, LePage's transition team. He was the head of the Maine Heritage Policy Center. But he left to start an organization down in Florida called Foundation for Government Accountability. And under that, with the, he, he raises about $10 million a year now for welfare reform and medical reform. And, but his heart is in how can we reveal the relevance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Taryn has two programs under Flourish Now that we are now partners with him in this state. Number one, Safe Families. And Safe Families is an incredible opportunity for Christians to train on the same level as uh, the foster, foster parents in this state, but as volunteers make themselves available through the Department of Health and Human Services and also through private referrals where we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus to mostly single moms that don't have anybody to help them when they relapse back into their drug situation or have to go, don't have anybody to watch their children. This is a program that I I really am excited about elevating that the church can can dip its toe into a, a, an ocean of hurt and pain and brokenness because the bro- breakdown of the family in our state where we literally, and, and I can tell you right now, I was with uh, Pastor uh, Justin Frank at Penny Memorial uh, three weeks ago in, in a meeting addressing this issue. And the Department of Health and Human Services called him and said, we need Christians. We need Christians Because we're being overwhelmed with the brokenness. The family is being torn apart by alcohol and by drugs and other issues. And if they can't count on Christians to help out, where else can they go? And so Safe Families is a wonderful program. We don't own it, but we are promoting it. It already exists in this state, and we are very excited about that. The other program is called Work to Win. Now, any of you that are involved as uh, individuals that are either counseling or trying to help people that are coming out of rehab know that one of the most important factors uh, for someone to succeed is to get a job and to have a job and work to win rather than just turning this over to the government is a program that again turns to the church and says to the church will you be willing to host a job fair and so That job fair is actually held in a local church and then establishes connections with people that have employment issues. They're not just unemployed, but they might even be unemployable because of their past of the drugs or because they've been involved in felonies. You have a job fair at a local church and then other churches cooperate to provide not only just 
the Christian Civic League bringing in people that are actually hiring and willing to take a chance on people and things like that. But then to extend that relationship that if they already know the Lord, you can establish mentorships or what we call job clubs and then disciple that individual in the Lord and how to keep a job and how to be a good citizen if they're not a Christian to actually evangelize them by investing your life into them. It is an incredible program, and we met a few weeks ago. I've been talking to Bill and, and Craig over at Centerpoint this. We met with nine or ten pastors from the local area, and they met just met again. This is something that we are focusing on Waterville. We believe Waterville is a place where it can be one of our beachheads. We're looking at Waterville first and then Bangor. Because, number one, unfortunately, there's no shortage of issues in regards to being ravaged with the opiate crisis. But secondly, the major churches in those two cities cooperate. They understand they're not competing with each other, that they complete each other. And that is why we are focusing on that. So I hope. That you are praying. And this is a little bit different in Maine than it is in southern Florida and Phoenix and southern California where this is flourishing right now. Because they have mega churches that can just do this by themselves. This is going to be a little trickier because it's going to be a group of churches working together. And so I hope that you will dedicate to praying that the Christian Civic League becomes a conduit to bring this program into the city of Waterville. That obviously it's going to be great. To see people get jobs, but more importantly, that people will see the love of Christ and the relevance of the church. That they don't look to the government as the answer to our problems, but they look to the church as a place of hope and a place of solutions for their everyday lives. And then to be able to share with them the destiny that they have, that God wants to share his love and eternal life with them. So would you pray for us that the Lord would resource us with the ideas and everything else that is necessary for that to occur? Now, I like to end with that because it's a lot more positive than, you know, LD912. And and I could talk, you know, um, I was at the Lincoln dinner last night up in Penobscot County and listened to the five gubernatorial candidates um, also talking about... uh, be praying for us because we are looking at whether God's going to give us an avenue to repeal uh, recreational marijuana in our state. And that's no small thing. That is going to be a very, very difficult task. I may be flying down to D.C. this week with uh, the head of the um, all of the social workers and the, and the drug counselors in the state to meet with Senator Collins and Bruce Poliquin to talk about what we can do to leverage the influence of the federal government to do this. It's going to take a tremendous amount of wisdom to try to ascertain whether we put resources in that effort. I don't want just a moral victory. I don't want to just say, well, we tried. We have got to ascertain whether this is what the Lord wants us to do and whether he's going to provide the resources to do that. So I ask for prayer, and that is just not a perfunctory request. We need prayer. Our strivings mean absolutely nothing. We'll have no eternal value if we're not being blessed by God. But with that being said, we started out in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want to wrap up with 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, the Apostle Paul talking to Timothy, and he says this, In verse 24, 25, and 26, he says, The servant of God deals with those that oppose him. So first of all, 
The churches that think that we, you know, just have to say things that people want to hear or let's just talk about Jesus in heaven or anything like that. We don't have the option of not dealing with those that oppose us. The servant of God deals with those that oppose him. How? Gently. Kind. With kindness. With patience. Apt to teach. In other words, giving that word out, believing that God can change somebody. And that's his responsibility. Our word is just to be faithful in giving it out. So again, we deal with those that oppose us like Jesus did. But look at the rest of those verses. The why. Do we do it so that we can, you know, just have people that agree with us or that we can win our arguments? Do we do it so people will stop being naughty? No. It says, pray. That God will grant to them the gift of repentance. Oh, now we know who our opponents are. It's the unsaved. No, in the few verses before, it talks about doubtful disputations and arguments. That's, that's brother to brother. Okay? But it shifts gear in verse 24. It's clearly talking about the unsaved. That God would grant them the gift of repentance. And that they might escape the snare. Just like the same snare that you were in. And come to a knowledge of the truth and no longer do the will of their master. That's why we do what we do. That is why we advocate for the truth. Whatever truth it is that God, we just didn't figure this out. This wasn't a comparative religion thing with us. I hope that's not what your experience was. God opened your eyes. He took you from death unto life. And he gave you the faith to believe the Bible. And you know what? There's some tough things in the Bible. I can't explain them all, but I trust him because he's a holy and a just God. And he's given me the faith to believe that and to trust him. And so this morning, uh, as I turn things back over to Bill, I just want you to know that is our desire. That is my mantra that God would allow us to speak the truth, that men would be drawn to the source of the truth. And so we look forward to seeing you in the back. We've got a lot of free literature back there and uh, the, it's uh, opportunities to sign up, we said, for, for Mark Holbrook and things like that. But again, I hope this just doesn't sound like something. You are an encouragement to me. And I, I really appreciate your pastors and encouragement. And so we covet your prayers and we're thankful for, for your support in uh, meeting out and executing our mission. And who can appropriately sign for Mark Holbrook? Anybody that lives in CD1. So that's kind of Waterville, East and South. But Mark can tell you he's got the, uh, Mark, <laughs> Orem can tell you he's got the different petitions out there if you're in a community that can sign up and, and help him get his necessary signatures to get on the ballot. Great. Thank you, Bill. Let me have you stand. Father in heaven, we know, we know well, at least in our heads, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This is a spiritual battle, and we so pray for your mercy and grace poured out upon this state that you would send your warrior angels to do battle in the heavenlies with those principalities and powers that hold sway, Lord, over people's minds that are given over to the flesh. And as Carol said, we pray so much for the gift of repentance to them for eternity, to us, Lord, for the myriad of sins that we commit regularly but are already washed in the blood. Help us not to take that ever for granted. So, dear God, let us be that shining light. Let us not keep it under a bushel to the end that people will be drawn to that light 
to giving you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.